Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. You're listening to Carnivorous Couch, a film a week from two film geeks. At least two film geeks, that is. Uh, we seem to have three more often than not. Um, but uh, it's a spoiler-full podcast where this week we did the 2014 film Babadook. Duke, the Babadook. Okay, the Babadook. Duke, 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 Duke. Which is, uh, um, there's just one Duke. But, uh, yeah, implying he's the only starring. one of his kind. Some right. kind of asshole, Mr. Babadook. Yeah, and it's um, it's a 2014 horror film from Australia starring some people. Ready now off top of uh, it. Let's see. Essie Davis and Noah Wiseman? Yes. Okay, and I've been trying to tell myself for the new year that I'm going to, uh, you know, have this resolution to say, hey, 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 um, if you want to leave us a comment, you can do so at our Facebook page at Carnivorous Couch, or you can tweet us at Carney Couch, or you can go to our website, www.carnivoroscouch.com, soon to be www.carnivorousstudios forward slash carnivorous couch, but that's not up yet. Uh, it probably will be it by the time this airs, and if you go to the original site, it'll forward you there, so it doesn't really matter. Um, Great. And take it away, uh, plot synopsis test. Oh, um, well, I'm doing the plot synopsis. It's been uh, about a week since I've seen this, so um, if anybody wants to jump in, please do. Um, but the movie uh, starts out a woman and her son living uh, alone in a house. She's a widow, and this is her only son. And uh, it mostly sets it up as, uh, you know, she's... Uh, dealing with her son um constantly thinking there's a monster in the room and that and she has to you know read him to sleep like read him storybooks so that he can get to sleep and check all like under his bed and making weapons and booby traps you don't get you don't know that right off the bat i mean you know it very soon but um and uh you know it sets it up as she she just she's not getting sleep at night because he keeps coming into her room and like invading her space and it's set up immediately uncomfortably as this kid, like, will not leave her alone. He's afraid of his bedroom, which is eerily painted with black paint. And if I was a seven-year-old, I would be terrified of my room painted in black paint with, like, purple sheets. But whatever. That's how it is. Stylistic choice. That's how they do it in Australia. Right. I, I, know, I know. It's Australian Nouveau. It's not. It was just because they didn't want to use, like, you know, lens colorings to make the... the uh, the color palette the way that it was it was all a painted set which is interesting but it is kind of eerie that the boy's bedroom is painted with black paint anyway it is yeah and he's scared of his room and so he spends most of his nights like bugging his mother and kicking her and like sleeping in her bed with her and she she doesn't have a single moment of peace or alone um from from him and uh and then what happens after they they have that set up and he's oh he's building weapons to like fight monsters and right, in the and house traps and, and when the monster he, comes I'm gonna do this yeah and like he a- like yeah has a catapult that he has strapped to his back and he's built this himself like he's seven and he's building these like intricate like catapult weapon trees and things like that so it's kind of interesting and you get the the feeling right off the bat that like 
he's a weird kid, but he's pretty industrious and pretty smart and um the the mother kind of doesn't know how to deal with this yeah he's a disturbed um, kid who's uh, obsessed with like m- the monsters that are in the closet and, he's, and blah 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 he Did also we mention do, you his see, age? he's seven six. six. Oh, oh, he's about to turn seven that's right um so yeah he's six but they they refer to him as being almost seven for the entire movie so i just kind of thought of him right. as that way and let me just anyway. make some noise and make sure it's coming through okay cool um, so what, what happens after that? Is uh, there... After that, I think she gets called to school because he's been causing trouble with the other children. Right. That was next. Yeah. And he know. brought a dart machine to school and they, they got him yeah, in trouble. He has crossbow dart shooting yeah. thing. Yeah. He has a crossbow. He's got like a, a like his were... two main inventions are a catapult thing that like sits on his back and shoots things over his shoulder or like in reverse. Yeah. And then, like, a crossbow that fires darts. Yeah, those are his two. And he also does magic tricks, so he's really into, like, you know, sleight of hand and creating contraptions and things like that. You get the impression he's pretty smart, but he's also pretty, like, mm-hmm. disturbed. And don't forget about the tripwires. Always with Always the tripwires. Trip yes, booby traps. So is this before or after you see him in the basement with... So much of the beginning is, like, a hodgepodge of imagery... Uh, which is not to say that's a bad thing, but it's I pretty just much I like needed to see she's it much reading him stories and stuff like that's going on. And then he's going to uh, he she gets called into school and they're like, uh, we're going to put him on a one on one sort of thing with people because yeah, because he can't be with kids. And then after that, we get some um, he, on, she pulls him out of school because she doesn't like the way they're handling yeah, him. Treat my son like a human being. Sort of and thing. because uh, because they're not doing that, she pulls him from school and says, well, we'll find him another school. And then kind of doesn't. We'll find him another school. People treat him like yeah. a human being. She kind of doesn't do that. Boy. She just keeps him. Right. She kind of keeps him at home. And then after that, we see some scenes of him, uh, of her at work. With, yeah. Which oh, is, yeah. She does go and try and go yeah. to work. She's, and she's an orderly at a, at a old folks home. Yeah, a convalescent home or something like yeah. that. And it's important to note that most of the patients and most of the people that she works with and most of the people that the boy interacts with are all women. Most of the people in her life, and most of the, like just most of the there people. There is on a male screen. orderly. There but is one male orderly, he, and he kind of likes her, and but you know that comes up later. Well, I mean, it comes up then too. Is like you get the feeling that he kind of like has a flirtation with her that she's not particularly responsive to. She lets him take her shift at one point because she needs to leave, but like isn't very responsive to him. Right. Um. And then let's see. So a lot of it is just set up. That's what I'm kind of starting to realize now is like you can't just say like this is what this happens, this happens, this happens because so much of it is like set up and them kind of like setting a tone for, you know, this kid's annoying her and she doesn't have any peace from him and he's kind of like doing all this stuff. Yeah, the movie's an hour before and a half the, long. The first half hour is set up. Before the book even shows yeah, up. We, so let's say... Let's we also say get to meet the sister, which is We right, do meet the sister. There, well, then There's we a, have the She has a sister act, with a, with a with daughter about the same age as he is. Right. And they have their joint birthday party every year on her birthday because... <laughs> Um, and I think you get to know this soon enough, is that... Um, we'll the, to that. It's not directly stated. It's, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of conversation about, look, well, you could have his birthday... Uh, they could have He could have his own birthday soon. You know, he could have his own birthday on the day. And she's like, no, 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 we'll just do a joint birthday like we always do. But they kind of start setting it up as, like, there's some, like, really scary reason that 
he can't have his birthday on his actual birthday. So you start to get this impression that something's kind of wrong here. Well, we see something wrong happen the very first image of the film. That's true. And Brady, you should you should say that because I didn't. Uh, she's we see in the very first image of the film, she's kind of levitating above her bed, which is you know a dramatic way of depicting stylistic dream sequence. Yeah, stylistic way of depicting her having a nightmare. And she's having a nightmare about being in a car crash with her husband. Right. And you do uh, know that that's, yeah, you do know that he's dead. So there you go. Um, And then at some point, and I can't remember when exactly this happens, if it's before or after the book appears, which is like a big seg, like big changeover. The book has appeared at this point. Between the setup. But like when, at what point does, does the son say, oh, my father died, you know, while my mom was being driven to the hospital to give me to give birth to me like because he says that twice once at the end and once in the beginning for setup purposes and i'm not sure if it's before or after the book appears i must have missed it the first time because i only remember it at the end he totally says it before all right i'm probably missing um but i think he might say it before the book even appears and she you see her get really upset so that when when they say like oh we'll have separate birthdays this year and her being upset about that kind of has more context at that point i'm thinking it might be before Anyway, um, maybe I should have watched this again more than a week ago, but basically, anyhow. this is at the point in time where they read the book. So anyway, Af- after the regardless, thing, they read the book. Now he's afraid of the Babadook. after this. Right, a, he's not afraid of monsters anymore. A, he's afraid of the Babadook. A book appears that um, the mother appears to not recognize. It's it's a pop up book with horrifying images in it, um, and you know it's the, the story is just like. The Babadook knocks on the door, and the Bob, like, you can't escape the Babadook, but the drawings are so horrifying that the boy starts, like, freaking out and screaming. And you see that there are a bunch of blank pages, um, kind of after she right. sort of she stops reading it and thumbs through it herself and sees that there are blank pages well, and the book's reading not it out finished. Loud, then she starts yeah, reading it herself herself and, we get and she's that. scared yeah so the boy is screaming she's scared she looks through the rest of it there's not a there's not even an end to this book and then it cuts to like what is almost a humorous scene of like she's reading a completely different book like the little engine that could or something yeah. like is on her lap and she's going at, you know reading it very plaintively with the boy screaming into her stomach right he cannot calm down after having looked at this and like at one point he's just like is he gonna hurt the boy is he gonna hurt the little boy because it shows like a monster that is stalking a little boy that basically could be him for all he knows yeah kind right. of a grim spectral black hat yeah. figure with a yeah i think face. the first rhymes are something like these are the babadook clothes these are the clothes he wears yeah. but you don't want to see what's underneath the skin yeah <laughs> stuff like that <laughs> and when he knocks it babadook duke duke and that's the knock on the door right. and like it's it's very very scary pictures. Um, so the boy freaks out, and then this kind of starts the actual story. Like it, it, before this, it was all set up, and then you finally get this like moment of oh here we are, this is the story, and it uh, it it starts to become a lot of of uh, Samuel is the character's name, the little boy. Um, him him reacting to the Baba Duke now yeah, having he's basically been, just freaking out now having been invited into the house as as he you know, puts it at some points um, during the movie is just like you invited the Babadook in, the Babadook's here, you can't get rid of him. And he's like freaking out so much that his mother can't get any sleep. She has no um, no way to, to react or to handle him now that, 
that he's seen this storybook. So she rips it up. Um, she throws it away. Well, first she tries to put it on top of the cupboard. She, oh, then, she does. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, then after a while, like he keeps freaking out about the Babadook. So and then she, and she then, freaks out. She's well, she freaking out about it sort of like she has a nightmare. Too. And then she takes the sorry. She takes the go, book. Go for it. You the, saw it today. No, I bumped the mic. That's why I said. Sorry. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't. I don't care if I'm interrupting. Yeah. You. No. Go for it. Keep going. <laughs> no. Then. Then she takes the book down, and like, um, that's. Uh, she has a nightmare, and then she takes the book down, rips it up, and throws it in the trash. Yeah. And the kid is still freaking out about it, and then, um, you know, then we have this scene where the sister they're they're actually they're having, at the birthday party. Yeah, the joint birthday party uh-huh. that's not on the day; it's before the day. And um, like, well, it's on it's on the cousin's birthday, which is right around the same time. Yeah. But we get the impression that maybe it's like a week after his actual birthday is like it's a week before later. His actual birthday. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they're having this joint party. And right. It's like a and princess party. Right. And he's he's so scared at this party, by the way, that he's like clinging to his mother the entire time and like freaking out all the other mothers that right. are at this party. So she finally has to like very like, you know, um, authoritatively be like, go play. Yeah. Go bit- have fucking fun, you crazy. Like, well, basic, and then, <laughs> and he's, then been he's out in of the treehouse, dollhouse, and then he pushes the chick out the window because she's like, you don't Just have a call dad. like a seven year old a chick. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the female gendered uh, child. The little girl. The cousin. The right. cousin gets pushed out of the treehouse by Samuel. Yeah, Samuel pushes out the window. And he breaks her nose. Right, because the, she was the, saying, like, you don't have a father, you don't deserve yeah, to have a father, she blah, was, blah, 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 blah. She was verbally abusing her right. weird cousin. Um, and then, also, at the same time, um, uh, uh, what's the mother's name? Um, Amelia. Amelia. Amelia's outside talking to her sister, and her sister confesses that she hates Samuel, and that's why she doesn't visit Right, her house in and so this is all. when the sister stops talking to yeah, Amelia, so and then she's kind of stop. out of the story for the rest she's, of it. She's she's out of the story for a large portion of right. it. Um, she does kind of come back in later, I think. But um, so the sister's kind of out for the count and won't talk to her. And you know, even if even if she would, this uh, Amelia's being too crazy now to kind of like right so, really want to turn to her at this point so so after this incident she takes uh she's driving him somewhere i think they're driving either home from the party or somewhere else but then like he just starts freaking out he about the seizure, in the back of the car and then he starts screaming and then he has a seizure and then so she takes him to the doctor and that's when that's when the the story shifts to her perspective so right. up until this point it's kind of been her reacting to her son insisting that there is a Babadook that is haunting and stalking them. And she doesn't want to believe it. She, you kind of get the impression that maybe she sort of knows, but that she she is refusing to believe it because it's just a kid's psychotic fantasy and her son's been really weird and acting violent and, like, maybe there's something wrong with him. So once she goes to get him checked out, um at the hospital like they they prescribe she she asks for them to prescribe him something so that she can sleep right because so they're gonna get him a psychiatric appointment they, in two weeks yeah. it's like until the two weeks time and they want the me test some pills he's causing back. problems he's shooting darts at kids at school yeah. he's pushed his sister out of the window this, this kid yeah, whatever <laughs> he pushed the chick out the window <laughs> they can't anyway, fly chick so yeah. so um yeah and, they need and basically to basically <laughs> He's acting out violently against other kids. I can't watch him all the time. I can't discipline him. I need to put him to sleep until we can get him to the psychiatrist. So uh, 
the psychiatrist begrudgingly prescribes the child some uh, some sedatives yeah. some sedatives um and then as soon as she starts giving her son the sedatives that that is when that happens right like she she yeah. starts giving her son the sedatives and then she goes and opens her door and the book is back on her doorstep someone has sewn right. or taped and it I back think, together i think before she goes to the doctor and stuff that's when theoretically the babadook puts glass in her food that's later that's later okay. yeah that's after it starts haunting her okay um no, I, I think Rob's right. Isn't that when she rips it up? I, I think that's when she... That might be when she yeah, rips it I up. Actually, I think you're right. I think that's when she decides this kid's got to get treatment, blah, 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 and like... Well, that when he had the seizure is the when seizure, she finally... But I mean, like, I think, I think that directly proceeds before her driving in the car, before he has the seizure. Yeah, yeah, I think you might be right. Um, but so, the, but the big, the big, like, switchover the, and the start of what could be considered, like, the second act, I guess, is... She takes him to the hospital. He's sedated now during the night, so she's the one that's up, you know, she still can't dealing sleep. with... She still can't sleep. Um, and the book comes back, and the book she finds on her doorstep, it's been taped back together despite the fact that she has ripped it up. And extra and there pages are, have been there added. And there are new pages added in. Um, showing and her one, I would get... Okay. Um, there's, and there's a page, and they're, they're not graphic, but they are incredibly disturbingly drawn. Um, one of which depicts her strangling her dog, strangling her son, and then killing herself with a knife. And, like, you, I think you see color in this book for the, like, for the first time where there's blood. just the red, just the red. Just the red for the blood. Like, other than that, it's just a charcoal drawing. So she freaks the fuck out, and she takes it out in the back, and she burns it. Right. And then she gets a phone call of what is essentially the Babadook going like, just going, Yeah. So she gets that phone call and she goes to the police and she tells the police, I think someone's stalking my son and me. And they... The cops are like, yeah, well, why do you, why do you think that? You know, bah. And, uh, she she's like, well, um, I got I, well, I received a like, children's book. I received yeah. well, she goes, I received a children's book, and they snored at her, and she said it well, it had really graphic depictions of somebody murdering me and my son, and they're like, well, can we see the book? And she goes, I burned it, and they're like, well, what are we gonna what are we supposed to do with that? And she goes, well, I also received a threatening phone call. And they said, well, what did he say? And she said it was just gibberish. It was, it was from the book. It was just from the book. You, if you had seen the book, you would know. And they don't have the right. book. And then she looks back and she sees um, a coat hanging on the wall. And I'd forgotten to mention this, but a a recurring theme in this in this is like visually showing. Uh, clothes hanging so that it looks like a, a yeah. human shape. And this was after the, after the boy was yeah, in the basement. After yeah, the boy was in the basement. We, we skipped that part. There was one part. point in ter- where he was in the basement with all his uh, father's stuff, and he had hung up his father's clothes on the wall with a, a fedora, it, very much like the costume of the Babadook from the children's yeah, book. Yeah, it looked exactly like the costume that the Babadook wears. And she keeps seeing this Babadook shape of, like, clothing hung up places that she is or places in her home. So, like, the clothing hung up with, like, a hat over a coat becomes the shape of a person and it becomes, like, an automatic indicator that something is off. And yeah. clothing itself actually kind of starts to have that that 
feel to it over the course of the movie. It was really interesting. Anyway. So anyway, um, they see her hands at, with her covered see, in charcoal, yeah, and then she just like kind of like goes, never mind. You know what? No, 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 never mind. And then and freaks leaves. out. Yeah. And then um, from from that point on, I think it's it's mostly just the she's Bob. The she slowly yeah. she's in the house. She can't sleep. She's watching a lot of TV. And well, did we mention that she burns the book? She, yes, she burns the book on a barbecue. Yes, yeah, we mentioned we mentioned that. Okay, um, she uh, that she told the police she burned it. Oh, right. So she burned it. Yeah, um, she actually did burn it. <laughs> um, and it doesn't she come back. Burn it to be Peter clear, did. it doesn't come back after that. The book does not show back up after that. Right. So the fact that it was like taped back together indicates that like the physical book needs to be there. It's not it's not magical in the way that it can come back after being burned. No, somebody t- took it back and taped it up. It's a physical yeah. real book. Yeah. Um anyway. So uh then a lot of that is just her having insomnia and like a lot of ambiance and it's very very scary but it's very hard to plot synopsize. Yeah, she well <laughs> how about the part that made us jump? Oh my God! You you tell that. Well, I mean, at one point she just has a vision of her dead child, uh, covered you know, in with, blood. Covered in blood, and you do, you have no context for it almost. So you you think it might be real for a second. Yeah, and I think at one point they finally she's finally like, well, let's let's go out for ice cream or something. Like let's I think we're going a little stir crazy. We're let's stuck in this house. house. And there's this really uh, shot that I like because this movie's got a lot of humor that it mixes with its terror. Where they're at a restaurant, but in the booth next to them is just a bunch of shrill, shrieking children. Yeah, uh, unbearable. So, yeah, and, and also we get, I think at least at least once, maybe a couple times, we get these scenes where she goes to bed with the blanket over her head, and then mm-hmm. the camera kind of quickly like shutters and it's daylight again. Yeah. So just these kind of images that show that Lots there's of just no motion. relief. There's there's no relief. There's no sleep. And just kind of a claustrophobia that hangs over this thing. Yeah, it's so weird to have to plot synopses because so much happens, but so little of it is something that you can say, well, this happened, this happened, this happened. Like, you can't really do that. Then later, she like the Babadook starts to take over her body or something, or she's going crazy, depending on how you read it. And, you know, she yells at her son, and she won't let him take the, the pills with food. Because she's too tired and she calls him a little shit. Like, it just starts to get really crazy. And I don't know how to plot synopsizes Yeah, at one point this. she's just sitting in a bathtub. And at first we think, like, okay, well, that's weird, but she's sitting she's in a She's wearing clothes, by the way. Well, well, yeah, we're wearing clothes. So she's sitting in an empty tub. Oh, and then tub. the kid comes in and then she, and like, picks him up. Lifts him up and, up and him puts him in, in the, the tub bathroom. with and then, her. And right. then we see that there's water in the tub. Is yeah. what we see. Uh, at first, we could just think she's sitting in an empty tub, maybe getting a she minute's She looked wet to there. me, but... I don't think we know until she stands up that the bottom half of her dress is wet. Oh, right. maybe not. Which is kind of the point that it's slowly revealing that okay, she... Okay, so basically a bunch crazy. of shit happens. Uh, there's the whole thing where, like, the kid eventually exercises all his booby traps and his stuff, very much like our last week, uh, Yeah, it Home looks... Alone. It's almost like Home Alone, right. except, well, hold on, like... Hold on. Because I think the way this unspools, like, we don't want to just... this. Cause well, Brady, it, I think as far as the synopsis goes... Brady, Brady, okay, go ahead. Brady, take it, over, it too, because more, I also... All right, we're just going on minute detail, 20 of something as, that we can't really no. explain. As we've said, details get more important as it goes along. Uh, I mean, not that they're not important. But, okay, finally she is going crazy. She's sitting in her home, and she's watching a news broadcast, and she all of a sudden has this prophecy through the news broadcast that they're talking about her... 
And they're saying that a woman who is her murdered her child after his seventh birthday. Yeah, there's that. Uh, and then I think after that, we see that the child kind of goes downstairs into the basement. And I think she follows him down there. And what she sees is we're expecting this kind of scary monster, probably the Babadook himself, to appear. And instead, we just get the serene figure of her husband kind of bathed in this heavenly light. Uh, he's a very handsome man. And she goes and hugs him and goes, I thought you were dead. Yeah. Yeah. And he says that, well, okay, we, we can be together. I just need you to go bring me the boy. And all of a sudden, she backs away. And the light's all on her face. And then we cut back to him, and he's entirely in shadow. And we just hear... This croaking, but not like in a shrieky, shrill horror movie way, just kind of a gentle croaking voice say, You can bring me the boy. You can bring me the boy. You can bring me the boy. And then the last thing he says is, I think it's going to rain today. Yeah. And, and so then she runs back upstairs, and the Babadook. Oh, what we forgot to we mention. We also hear him going like, uh, Just 10 minutes more. Right. Uh, um, and then doesn't his head... That's, get... that's later on. Uh, and we also forgot to mention that at one point while she's sleeping, the Babadook actually drops into her mouth from the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, so there's a bit of a possession angle going on. And so shortly after seeing the specter of her husband, which is probably the Babadook, the Babadook actually does possess her. And she starts just going crazy. She kicks in the door to her son's room. She starts yelling at him. And, you know, he starts peeing himself. And she, she kills the dog. And then, yeah, the she kills the dog. And all of a sudden, the nice elderly neighbor goes to the door. And she goes and talks to her. And when she comes back, she's kind of acting nice again. She's like, I'm sorry. Yeah, like, the sequence about all of, that. of events, despite the fact that I saw this several hours ago, it's very difficult to piece them together sequentially. Yes. Uh, so then doesn't really matter. She starts a bunch of crazy shits happening. Yeah, it's crazy shit. Uh, so she starts acting nice and she's like, I'm sorry that I blew up at you. Uh, but it's all a ruse. And so she's going to try to choke the kid, just like the storybook prophesies. But the Samuel stabs her in the leg and runs off. And then we have a, a scene, I think, where he ties her up in the basement and she's trying to kill him. And he kind of calms her down and exercises her by... Reminding her that she does love her son. Kind right. Of, and then she gets free with one hand and tries to strangle him. Right. Yeah. And then what? But then she vomits up the Babadook. Vomits she up. vomits up the, the, the black shit. Yeah. And so we think that everything's cool now for a second. But then the son says, you can't get away from the Babadook. And this invisible hand yanks him up the stairs, starts throwing him against walls. And so she ends up staring down the Babadook. But first she has a vision of her husband again saying what we learn now are the things he said on the way to the hospital with her. Right. Trying to calm her down moments before he was killed. And then we see his head get sliced off. And so she's reliving all the moments of her grief. And then eventually she, uh, she, I think, uh, Rob. Uh, basically, uh, the kid gets thrown around, then, like, she vomits the thing, and then they go upstairs, and she goes to the kid, and the kid says it's going to be better now, and we cut to the final scene. No, no, because she locks the Babadook in the basement first. 
She actually does. Uh, oh, that's right. No, yeah, she runs around uh, following the Babadook, saying like, "Like you are nothing. You are nothing. Uh, you like uh, uh, get out of here. You don't belong here. You are nothing." And then the Babadook runs to the basement. Oh, uh, okay. It, it goes to the basement, and then the door is locked from the inside, and she can't get in. At that point. Okay. Uh, yeah, and then we cut to. I guess the scene of Samuel's seventh birthday and everything seems happy or things are getting better. I think maybe we have some other scenes just setting up like things are returning to normal. Um, they're, uh, let me see. They're collecting worms in the garden. Oh, right. Right. And then they take the big thing of worms and then she goes and takes the worms down to the basement and gives it. To the Babadook, who does not attack her at this point in time. He tries he to. He tries to. Yeah, kind of. She, like, fends and she, him off. Right. And she backs him off by saying it's okay. Right. And then she goes back upstairs, and then the kid goes, how was it th- today? And she said it was okay. Or, like, it was quiet or something like that. And then she goes, like, can I see it? And she said, when you're older. Uh, and then he does a magic trick where there's a dove. And then uh, that's about it. Okay. Yep. All right. Um, this thing, possibly this thing that I'm supposed to prep for, but I forgot. So how long? Hey, 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 how do we like it? So Tess, how did you like this movie? I love this movie. Um, this is one of the scariest movies I think I've ever seen. And granted, I scare easily, and I uh, have an interesting opinion of the things that I find scary. Um, but I found this to be, like, a pretty good combination of, you know, like, what would happen if a racer head in The Shining had a baby. It's, like, deeply, deeply upset- upsetting. Like... I don't think I have felt this unsettled and upset by watching something maybe ever. Maybe, probably not since Deliverance, and that's a whole different kind of horror genre thriller thing going on there. Um, it it was really difficult for me to get through, and um, I legitimately screamed at one, at least one point during the movie, and not because something jumped out at me, and it was like, ooga booga, gonna get you, it was just because, like, this, this feeling of unrest had been building the entire time. This is an A-plus horror movie. This is like a horror movie for the ages, and I would say that it, it's probably, like, you know, a good solid A for me as just a movie, and an A plus is a horror film. Okay, Brady. Uh, yeah, I I also love this movie. Uh, you know, I I know I've been telling people I think this is kind of a weaker year in film in general for the most part, uh, and so I w- I was thrilled to see this thing. You know, I think uh, uh, <laughs> this is it's it's good that we're at least getting these smaller movies that have this strength to them. I think Jennifer Kent uh, is is really a director to watch. Oh man! The the reason it's so good, and I'd give it an A as well for the record, uh, is that for one thing that I think the psychology is really well mapped out, and so it is this film about you know fear of being a parent. It is essentially mm-hmm. an eraser head for our age, and 
the only worry I would have with that is that the actual stuff of the movie would become so theoretical that it would be deep, but maybe not truly frightening as a horror movie. Uh, especially if, you know, I think it's entirely possible that you can take everything that happens as metaphor. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the huge strengths of the movie is that even if you do decide to take it that way, I don't think it makes a thing any less scary. Exactly. Uh, and because parents, for one, kill their children all the time. Uh, so even if it is just in your mind, it's completely real. And you know, I just think it walks this line of being both psychologically astute, viscerally scary, and at times really, really beautiful to me. Uh, so it's just, yeah. it kind of has it all and it, it never uh, loses its way. And I think it'll be scary on repeat viewings. And I think it's resonant. So yeah, I loved it. All right. Uh, I agree. I think it was very good. Uh, I think there's a lot of themes that are interesting to look into, like... Uh, kind of a commentary on uh, single parenting without a strong male discipline. Uh, what else? Uh, viewing your child through your lens. Is this actually a horrible child or just uh, a normal child colored by the mother's uh, dissatisfaction or dysfunction? Uh, there was also a bunch of stuff just about um, kind of like her untreated neuroses. And she clearly has post-traumatic stress. Was expertly metaphorically um produced in the you know the um creation of the babadook um metaphor just that that creepy fucking thing that's in the back of your brain that if you manifest it into a physical reality like in this movie is very frightening um I, I was gonna give it a solid b b yeah i, good I knew you'd have a lower well, B's a good grade. Come on, B man. B is a good grade. Anything I ever do is a B, and uh, I'm it about as good as everybody. Eventually turn so, into uh, an A- minus is a regular movie for me. I mean, I don't know, but... Yeah, no, it's it's a really good movie. Um, Very good. But, I mean, the segment is called How Do We Like It? And uh, it's not a joy to watch. It's very it's good. So, but, I, you know, I, I, for someone who gets so deeply upset by, like, even, like, the slightest bit of uh, um, conflict in anything, like, I just want to watch Frozen on repeat for the rest of my life. So, like, but I still really like horror movies and can appreciate them when they are this good. Um, and this one is really, really good. It's it's a psychological thriller, for certain. Yeah. Oh, I, I know that we're on Rob's. How did we like it? But I, I forgot to mention something that is also a huge plus in this movie's column. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, it's done. Uh, along with, you know, this being a year I more politely appreciate in film, I'd say mm. the same is also true of how I felt about a lot of this year's acting. You know, I've, mm. I've had... Ranging from like true serious admiration to polite respect for the likes of Benedict Cumberbatch, Eddie Redmayne, Michael Keaton, all doing a fine to very good work in in their films. Oh, but I think but you are right. This is the year. Uh, three acting performances, two of which I've seen recently, are like the show for me acting wise. One is Patricia Arquette in Boyhood. Uh, the other that I just recently saw is uh, Marion Cotillard's towering performance in Two Days and One Night. And the third is Essie Davis in this. I think she's uh, a, yeah. a real revelation here and apparently has been doing work in Australian cinema for years. So it's she's kind of a coming out moment for her. Uh, and yeah, so like I, 
you know, in addition to everything else I mentioned, you've just got this really fine acting duet, especially from Davis, just propping the whole thing up. So once again, this isn't theoretical because the acting is so good. It becomes visceral and still maintains that poetic, mm-hmm. psych- psychologically incisive edge. I want to comment a little bit on that, um, is that, that her performance was very good. I'm a little creeped out by kid actors. I was talking to my brother about this um, today that we're both a little bit weirded out by kid actors sometimes, him more than I am. But, like, this kid was a creepy little kid, sure. But, like, you know, with any horror film, he was, like, kept kind of at arm's length about what the whole plot was and what was going on. And any time that he was being verbally abused, they had, like, apparently an adult on their knees with his haircut, like, getting yelled at by her. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so I thought that was a funny bit of trivia. But um, anyway, uh, I think that... that, yeah, her for for someone who spends the entire movie like with close-ups on her face for like so much of this is just a lot of her like driving the car with a close-up on her face, laying in bed with a close-up on her face. Um and then so so even with that you still get like this incredible performance from her where she doesn't, you know, break at all and then you you also have these moments where she's kind of like transforming into the what what you could consider to be the Babadook. So, like, the Babadook is inside her now, and she has a dream where the Babadook, like, goes into her mouth as, like, black tar, and that's when she starts really acting out as this character. So, like, there's a moment where she'll ye- she yells at her son and calls him a little shit and refuses to feed him dinner, and um, all of these moments where she's embodying what is essentially this, like, horror figure that has been done through practical effects and has like giant nails and is perfectly terrifying in silhouette and she's just like you know like doing this like she's do she's putting on like an entirely different character to become this monster and i thought that that was just like an incredible like vocal performance from her um as well as just like an amazing look at like you know how how someone can be abusive in that way and then like immediately turn around and be sweet and apologize and like that i don't know it was just it really was it was in a it was a great performance to shed some light on why brady said that there's some moments in there that are just like showing a tremendous range from her and i'm sure we'll get more to that and uh, how do we like it but now let's go do a game all right But I want to be We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay. But we've got two understudies, and to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway. So try to press the actors, try to guess the movies. Tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y couch. This game called Understudy is happening, happening, happening. Right now. Doesn't make sense. Why would Taras want to attack us? We're in the middle of nowhere. Who knows what they're thinking? They don't need meat. Can't trust anybody who doesn't need meat. Fucking soulless. You eat meat? Oh yeah, that's all I eat. Mm, good girl. And shit. I eat a lot of shits. See this. Mm, what's that? 
Shittedingran. You should be a comedian. Thank you. I think I will. What do you think of my leg? <laughs> it is funny. Terrific. Is Someone asks oh. what the, where the tools are. JT goes to show them. Ray walks into the small bedroom and closes the door behind him. Ray locks the door at the latch. Is that to keep them out or to keep us in? How's your stump? They knocked it out something fierce. Can't feel a thing. Ray lays on the waterbed with Sherry. They bounce around a bit. Ray takes off his jacket. They must. This must be a real bone shack. I mean, old JT knows how to live. Like fuck, he does. I'm sure to you this is a class setup, but no fucking way. You say fuck a lot. Fuck you. Do you like fuck? Fuck you. Find it. She searches a zippered compartment. Nothing. The, the other one. She turns the jacket over. There in the back are two more zippered compartments. She undoes one and finds a small red box. She opens it. I was, uh, I was gonna give it to you, but you, you left me and you took the jacket and I looked for it for two weeks. She pulls out a ring, an engagement ring. Read it. Two against the world. Remember that. I never forget it. They kiss. She lifts her shirt up. The film print gets shaky and grittier for a real change. A few jump cuts and we can almost barely see what it looks like when it was originally a really hot love scene. It's so <laughs> hot the film literally sizzles. Why did you leave? You didn't believe in us. Or me. Her answer is practically inaudible for the film print is so screwed up it finally burns. Title card reads, missing real. Place for ten seconds. That was understood. You were hearing that in real time. Where'd that? Yes. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I like it so much better. So which character am I? Cherry. Yeah, so once again, you tweet <laughs> us at Sierra NY Couch, and uh, you try and say what voices we were doing, what movie we did that scene from, and we'll give you a prize. Good luck guessing who I was. <laughs> or me, but I know who I was, but it's going to be hard for you to guess because I was bad at it. <laughs> Uh, so this is our next segment, uh, Brady. No, we already did that. Oh wait. <laughs> well, what's it all about? What's it all about? Rippenburger. <laughs> okay, I think I have this in bold at the end here. Uh, this is all about uh, commentary on the epidemic of single members and the failure of the family union. Single mother can't take of a child can't can't take care of a child without male discipline. Undisciplined child drives the mother nuts. Mother and child take tranquilizers, and tranquilizers and lack of sleep drive the mother insane into hallucination. Classic story. Wow. Also, the failure of society to take care of people who aren't able to take care of themselves. Classic story. And also a parable about defeating the demons of one's past traumatic experience. The empty shell of the clothing of her husband is wearing the lost emotions she can't deal with in order uh, in 
with having an order to give to her son. <laughs> okay. Was that it? I think that's what it's all about. All right. So, um, and I, I will expound upon that in uh, future minutes. Want to talk how about that? How do you really um, feel? So, tell us how you really feel. Um, so, um, I thought this movie was a lot about a lot of things. Um, one of the most immediate things I picked up on was the um, the difference between adult fears and childhood fears, and how those can and tend to interconnect. Um, so the first act, if you will, is a lot about these childhood fears where the boy is kind of reacting to, oh, there's a monster under my bed, there's a monster in the closet, there's something in the house that, you know, I need to protect us from. And the second act becomes, you know, once he's incapacitated, becomes entirely about these adult fears, um, which were there all along, to be fair, but they, they, they get a light shown on them at this point um, where they, they, the, the focus shifts into um sort of her fears of like am i a bad mother am i gonna lose control am i descending into madness um am i am i going to hurt those that i purport to love and it becomes a lot about like just these these fears of like well maybe motherhood isn't just something that's great all of the time and you can't talk about that uh, in terms of like parenthood is like it's sort of a taboo subject to be like well sometimes I hate them or you know sometimes I'm afraid that I'm just gonna get so angry that I'm just gonna hit them you know like and you can't you can't say that and I think that that makes it like an even more like hard to address fear um so you, you you start getting these adult fears later on so it's a lot about adult fears and childhood fears and then I think they mix a little bit and I was talking to Brady about this after I saw the film where like as a little kid I remember being like completely and um for no apparent reason afraid of the idea that my parents would turn on me and that's the same reason that I'm afraid of zombies um is zombies are the idea that the, that your loved ones are just flesh that they're just they they have no cognitive capacity they forget that they love you they're just evil now you know and that was like kind of like a fear that I had as a kid um and then so you you have that like incorporated into the idea that like well yeah that's a fear that your parents have too now is that they're kind of like oh well you know maybe I am afraid that you know I kind of hate that you scream in the car for no reason. You know, whatever it is. Like all kids like do. Like all kids do. Um, and and that, that everyone has anxieties about parenthood. And that, you know, I think it's a lot about that. Um, I also think it's a lot about, uh, as I had mentioned, the idea of addressing the taboo subject that parenthood isn't always great. Um, it's hard. And it, it, you know, it can be stressful and you can question yourself a lot about it. Um, and, you know, even in Into the Woods, fucking, there's like a moment where he's like, I just don't know if I'm supposed to be a dad. Like, you know, everybody has that. I think that that's like a really common thing to feel. I think everyone's supposed to be a dad because you need a license to, you know, go fishing, but you don't need a, any idiot can have a kid. Right. Any idiot can have a kid. It's true. You can't you can't give out tickets for that, or they wouldn't give enough of them out to minorities. I, I say minorities. Um, 
anyway, forget that. Um, so my, my other thing um, that I think it's also about is uh, uh, this woman clearly has horrible post-traumatic stress syndrome from the fact that she watched her husband get decapitated while he was driving her to the hospital to birth her son. Obviously. She has a horrible post-traumatic stress. And it's gone untreated. And I think, like, a lot of this, too, is, like, you kind of see this in the movie a little bit. And um, when well, when you're dealing with... Please don't. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's post-traumatic stress, but I think it's also, like, survivor's guilt transposed upon to the child. Sure. But, yeah. um, but, like, part of the reason that, like, I'm sitting there the entire movie going, somebody take these people to a psychiatric hospital or exactly. something. Like, get them help. And part of the reason that... that uh, you know, I think that that's not happening is because, you know, when you do have have stuff like that that you're dealing with is like you, you just want to put it off. You don't want to address it. You want to just be like, hey, you know, the longer I can I can deal with this. I cannot have to deal with this. And in not dealing with it, I am dealing with this. Well, just there's also the sister fine. just saying, like, move <laughs> on. Yeah. Yeah. And the sister's yeah. like being not very helpful about it. But she's getting she's also getting really tired yeah. of her sister. But being it's also a like sad sack all the time. But it's also like one of those comics where it's like if you treated like actual illness, like mental illness, yes. it's just like, oh, well, you've got a colostomy bag on your hip. But, uh, you know, just suck it just up. Just deal with it. Just deal with but, it. But just then, get over like, it. You know, I mean, people like, you know, when, when you can't, like, to be fair, when somebody is so sad all the time, you can't, it's hard for, like, other people to be around that. Um, you don't, you don't want to have to deal with that. And if they're not getting help, if they're refusing to get help, then Section what, what them. else are you going to do? Section them. <laughs> Um, so like, and she is very dangerous and they don't like the kid. They like the boy needs help too. Right. No, that the, kid the, needs the kid's innocent. The kid, <laughs> the kid needs didn't the do anything ki- wrong. Yeah. No, he didn't do anything. Kid, he needs the woman didn't do anything wrong either, but she's contributing to the problem. And the, and the kid is he the needs, victim. He needs help and she needs help right. and they both need help. Um, regardless of whether there is an actual monster stalking them, which if you want to think that there is. This movie leaves it totally open for you to want to think that. Yeah, but if she really thought it was the kid who was like the psychiatric had the psychiatric problem, it's just like they both then, do. Yeah, I know, but if but when she went to the doctor, she thought it was the kid, right? That's why she needed to sedate him for the two weeks and blah blah yeah, blah. Yeah, when she right. should have sedated so, herself. Yeah, but really, what she if that's actually what she thought, didn't know she was insane because insane people don't know they're insane. Yeah. what she should have done was gone. No, my kid needs to go into the psych ward right now. Right. And then what would have happened is he would have gone to the psych ward right then as opposed to, oh, uh, two weeks. Well, we don't know. We don't know about that. No, you, um, can, you can put somebody into a psych ward if they're if they're shooting darts at other kids or pushing kids out of windows. And if there's been and putting glass in your food, right. yeah. you can probably say please, this kid needs to be <laughs> locked control up. control my child. And then once they <laughs> lock up and talk to the kid, the kid's going to come out with. My mom what, put that there. What the monster is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because that's the whole thing. It's like, the kid's afraid of monsters because he knows his mom turns into this monster. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the kid is clairvoyant enough to understand that, you know, that the mom turns into such. a monster. And we can get into that because I think, like, that's that's an interpretation. Whereas, like, there's, there's an actual horror movie here that you can take at face value if you want. Right. And I really like that about the way that the story yeah, is yeah. told. No, no, like, I mean, we're getting into all this stuff about everybody. like there is there's post traumatic stress and there's fear of you know there's childhood fears and there's adult fears and there's fear of losing control and there's fear of all this stuff. But you can still have 
your monster movie if you want it. Exactly. And that's what makes <laughs> a good even, horror movie. There is even like a moment at the end that is like, the, let's throw some alien in there too. Or right. aliens. And that's is what makes aliens? a good horror movie. Alien, where she's like, if you touch my child, I will kill you. Where it just, it, it rang to me as, her, get away bitch. from her, you bitch. That's what it really, like, that whole moment at the end where she's confronting the Babadook, like, really did remind me of Aliens. Like, there's so much that this movie is drawing from other horror films, and yet it is so very distinctly right. its own. No, there really is something for everybody in this in this movie. Because you can look at it as just a horror movie, or yeah. you can really get into it, and that's what makes a good horror, horror movie. That's and why Nightmare on Elm yes. Street's good. That's and why, I don't know if I, I um, and it still had, it, and Nightmare on why, Elm Street had the Home Alone elements that right. this mo- this movie also had, exactly. where she she is very seriously trying to control this Freddy Krueger character, which. The Babadook looks or a lot like. Or even something like I spit on your grave. The I never saw that. Please okay. don't talk to me about that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, the, the Babadook even looks a lot like Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of things that like he's got the hat, but, he's got the but nails. There are scenes later on, and I know Brady wants to get to this, where like, I mean, it's very clear that like, um, you know, that somehow the Babadook is her, and she is yeah. the Babadook, and it might be because she's possessed or. Depends on how you want to look at However it from a, a literal standpoint or a metaphorical standpoint. But all the stuff that she's like fantasizing about in her dreams that are horrible, like she starts doing and enacting mm-hmm. and like paying homage to earlier scenes in the movie that were theoretically dreams or nightmares yes. or something like that. And then she actually starts to act them out and she starts to move like like that too. Yeah. You know, the crazy yeah. uh Well she yeah, she like movements. floats she floats towards the kid in the way that the Babadook like floats across the floor and Right. Um, something moves the kid upstairs. You don't know what. You don't know if it's her throwing him or if it's like some uncanny force pulling him. You don't even know if it's really happening. And I'll I want to talk about that. We don't know if that. any of this is happening. I, we don't I even know if the kid's real. I want to talk about that a little bit too. Um, is yeah, maybe she killed him years ago. Right. Um, and it's just I, I don't in know. his house alone, reliving this thing over and over again. But, and the old lady um, comes over now every now and then, and she looks at the old lady and goes, "I wish I was like that, but I guess I'm a crazy woman who killed her kid years ago." Well, um, uh, but you know, like I, I think that, yeah, well, I mean, I might, I might've said already what I think this movie is all about. And I touched on a lot of the stuff that I've been thinking about when I, well, I have some more specific things I want to get into, but I don't think Brady's had a shot. Yeah. Let's Brady talk. Okay. Uh, first off, I want to thank Rob. Uh, when I woke up this morning, I had no idea that I would get to hear the words colostomy bag. And suck it up <laughs> together. So, oh yeah, I forgot about your colostomy bag. Suck it up. Yeah, <laughs> sloppy Ew. double dare. Um, okay, so what what's this movie about? I mean, yeah, you guys suck have it up, suck it up. <laughs> you guys have suck touched it up, on it. I I think like stop singing Dave Matthews band. Stop it. Stop it. Take it on board. I'm not the bag. Zip. Suck it up. Zip. Zip, 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 zip. zip suck it up. Zip. I'm playing the no, fiddle now. And you lost all okay, of your listeners, go. including me. <laughs> okay, Brady, go. Bag of poopy. <laughs> all right. What, what's it about? Um, okay, so you guys have pretty much touched on it. For me, I think I've there's... Got more. There are some side things that this is about, and then there's the main thing, and the main thing is has a lot of smaller things inside of it. <laughs> so, smaller things. Yes, it is about what it's like to have a very different child. It is about how that can kind of 
kind of segment you off from society, how you yourself barely can understand it. Uh, I think it's about the way uh, in certain scenes, not that many, but in certain scenes, how bureaucracies kind of view children who are different. I think it's a really excellent portrayal of grief. Uh, my favorite scene, one of my favorite scenes anyway, where she sees the husband, which is just so visceral and scary and beautiful at the same time, really is more about grief, oh, excuse me, grief than anything else. But yeah, I think at the I end of the day... I want you to actually talk about that scene for a second. Uh, well, afterwards. Um, uh, I think at the end of the day, though, yeah, the big thing this movie is about is the full gamut of what it means to have parental anxiety. Uh, I think it's a really interesting mirror image to Eraserhead where you get this parent that's afraid of all the ways they can fuck up their child, kill their child through neglect, all of that. And this is kind of the mirror opposite, which is all the ways you can think of how a child wants to make you go berserk. Uh, You know, yeah, just this negative aspect that is a very real part of parenting. I know that you hear it in a lot of psychological studies, and yet it's not, it is a bit taboo to talk about how, you know, parents talking about, well, sometimes I just wish... I could punch my kid in the face. Uh, and so it really, and and this is where, again, the acting performance really, it does become this beautiful duet between two women, the director and the actress. It's yeah. the full gamut of parental anxiety. And it does it really well in good imagistic ways. One of my favorite shots in the film is uh, early on, I think it's in the first scene, and you just see, first I think you see like the child's foot intruding into her side yeah. of the bed. And then you just see his little grubby hand around her neck. And I know I have friends who have kids. That's so accurate, and so oh my god, so perfectly captures the. I want to at the same time. There's the early thing where like, this was the first thing I noticed was like he does the magic trick at the beginning and pulls out the flowers for her when when she won't shut the fuck up, or like when he won't shut the fuck up and she reprimands him and he pulls out the flowers and he does this like touch on the back of her neck. Like and she says, "Don't do that." Yeah, like a like like a, a husband or a boyfriend would right. or something like that. That creeped me out. Yeah. And I I was going to talk about that. I was going to actually ask you guys what you thought about it. But anyway, I wanted I to say something. Yet, I know I know you I weren't know. and I, I but wanted to We were to... talking about the early stuff and I, yeah. those were two very visceral images that I noticed was... that were yeah. Sorry, what were you saying cuz I had something I did want to say. Well, well we're not hand on her throat we're, was we're where I thought about what's it all about and I'm still talking. So, let's he was talking with me the entire time I was trying to talk. I know, I know, but this isn't an invitation to completely go off. Yeah, yeah, no, we're going back to your grubby hand on her neck and how it's yeah. a classic. No, I was saying there are lots of, of images that I think speak to the parental anxiety experience in very different ways. One is that claustrophobia. Another I think of is just like, it, it would, I mean, we've seen this kind of thing in lots of movies, but this movie gets at the terror of it, and that's where he climbs up on the swing set. And mm. we see that it's happening, but when we finally see it, the movie, I think, just zeroes in on, like, how scary and, and what the fuck it is. Like, he's just on the top of this thing with nothing supporting him, ready to fall to his death. And that's the first thing she sees yeah. when she turns around. Cut to him crying. Yeah, and that's what it's like to be and a then parent. You're, is, and then you're just like, is he crying because he fell or is he crying because she yelled just, at him? Or, yeah, right. Yeah. You don't know. Right. And so, yeah, it's it's this really just dense, interesting, insightful duet, both between the director and her cinematographer, I guess, and S.E. Davis. The cross-cutting on that editing, though, was incredibly good, where they're talking, and she's like, Mom, look at me, I can go higher. Yeah. And, it, and they're all talking, and they're sudden. talking, and it's just cross-cutting back and forth, and then all of a sudden, they finally notice, and then you get the full shot. Yeah, I, I love it, the way it depicts insomnia. As I said, I love that uh, that little shot in the restaurant where... Yes. At that point, both of them feeling just the claustrophobia of a child-parent relationship. 
and just kind of, you know, even without the horror elements and the interesting commentary on, you know, parents who sometimes kill their children, which is all stuff that happens in the real world. I think it just really interestingly gets at the fact that you will never get away from this person. You are Mm -hmm. trapped in a house with them forever or not forever, but for a long time. And in that regard, the movie, the movie smartly makes the house more the bad guy than anything. Right. Uh, It's it's the place you can't leave. And the bad, yeah, bad guy is the house and the child for the first half of the movie and then the mother for the second half when she becomes this character. So, yeah, it's just, it's insightful in so many ways about the full range of parental anxiety. Yeah, and the fact that, like, I, I did want to say this, that, that they never, like, part of me for most of this movie was going, just move out of that house. Like, I expected the end of the movie to be them packing up their shit and getting out of that terrifying house. Right. And they don't. And I think part of the reason is because of what Brady just said is like, it's, it's so much of it is just like, no, you can't escape the house because you're still going to have your son with you and you're still going to have your mom with you. And the, the thing that's scary isn't, it's not in the house exactly. It's your home. Yeah. The home is the scary thing and leaving here won't help. Right. <laughs> You could maybe paint the walls with a nice eggshell, though. <laughs> As opposed to black and purple sheets. Yes. Um, one thing that I wanted to mention was um, this whole shift that the kid has from the beginning. From the beginning, he's kind of like just being an undisciplined fuckhead. But also that's... And, and Tess says that it's kind of from his viewpoint or, or focusing on him. But mm-hmm. I actually think the whole movie's from her viewpoint. Oh, well, it is. And for the but... most point that, like, he's not as crazy of a kid as it seems like he is when maybe he's putting glass in her food and maybe he's doing all this stuff. It's just that we're seeing it through the lens of her and that he's just a normal kid. I don't think he's normal a difficult kids child. kids don't or... put glass in their parents' but food. But he didn't. I didn't read he it. Didn't the put glass. I never Duke did it. I never right. read that he did No, it. but she did it. Yeah, she, she might have. She yeah. might have. She she's like, the Babadook. Okay, my whole theory is that she did it. She wrote the book. Yes. She, um, like, all the things, all the creepy stuff that was going on, that was all her, yep. basically. And she was just an insomniac, and she didn't know what she was doing, and she didn't realize that she had done it, and she was thinking that he had done it because he's a crazy-ass terrible kid. But that's just through her lens. And what he actually is is a normal kid who has a crazy mother. Yes. That's the way I, I viewed it, right? Yeah. Uh. So that like the kid was never crazy, and that like he's a you little know, crazy. Well, only only to the extent of he's dealing with a crazy mother. Well, and like the whole thing where not, he's like, like he had a seizure. I think there might be something wrong. I know. I think that's just emotional stress can well, bring maybe. that kind of thing. You, you don't know. But but yeah. any, like, they never explain. It's never explained. But this is the way I interpreted it was that he's always been like a normal kid. But the monster that he's going to protect himself from is his mother because yeah. this isn't the first time this has happened. Right? Well, that I don't know. Well, I don't know if it is or isn't. But he knows he that thinks... his mom he, he knows that his mom has something. I don't, I don't think it happened to this extent. I don't think his mom tried to kill him or anything like that. But, she goes crazy once a year around the time her right, husband died. Basically. And this is the first time that he's been old enough to deal with it. He's going to make weapons. He's going to protect himself from the monster. And the whole thing is that he's, he's going to protect her from the monster. Right. Well, well, he's going to protect he, them. He tells he's gonna her pro- that I'm going to protect us is yeah. what he says. And basically what he's going from is going from that beginning stage where he, the childhood fears and stuff that you were talking about 
to the end, he starts to say stuff like, Mom, I need to take these with food. Mom, we need to get out yep. of this house. He starts to like take, he goes from being He calls the, the neighbor yeah. and tells her like, look, somebody needs to take care of us right. because she can't and I can't. He goes from being the undisciplined child who's like yep. the crazy person, but that's just her viewpoint of this kid who's probably like a normal boy. Listen to this. Right. I am. I know. And he just goes, like kind of impressed. He goes from that <laughs> that viewpoint into like the manhood who's like I'm gonna I'm gonna stop the monster. I'm go- this time I'm gonna keep you from destroying yourself. This time we're gonna deal with this. This time we're gonna change this. And we and like Tess said, we don't actually know that any of this is real. We don't actually know that any of this happened. But I prefer to believe that um, he's seen this transition in one form or another many times, and that he's owning up to the male role. And that it's viewed from her as, like, not being disciplined because the fact is that there's no male role to be filled. And then so he grows into it and fills it and basically tries to protect them and make them the family. And that's the whole. And then through that, she's able to bury her fears and and horrors and in the closet and say, I'm going to put these away until he's old enough. To protect me from them when I tell them. When you're older, I'll ah, tell but them. here is one area where I, I disagree, and where Please. I think the movie finds um a bit of uplift, unless they're dead. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, well, and we can but talk. But you know about what? That. I right. I mean, like, yeah, the, it's the one place that I'm uncertain. Like, I'm all in on this movie's ambiguity with regards to whether or not the supernatural is real, or if we're just in the realm of the psychological. I think it's a metaphor, but yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a metaphor and. And, and to that extent, I wouldn't even go maybe as far as Rob and saying the mother's crazy. I think we're in the realm of the poetic. And so I like the idea of they're, they're just the claustrophobia of parent-child relationships mm-hmm. is causing refractions and distortions in their view of each other. That right. just, like, you're, you're not crazy and she's not crazy, but, like, something about that relationship coupled with that grief is just... It distorts well, and... Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely think she was taking the knife and that she was screaming at him and that he did stab her in the yeah. leg and he did settle the booty trap. At that yes. point, I think right. she did so, crazy, actually. So I think, at, I think at a certain extent, she is being crazy and he is just being a but kid you, who's but, trying to protect himself from this monster. But You don't know if that's the Babadook or not. That's the main point. I don't point. think it's the Babadook at all. I think that's a metaphor for her deep, Right, and dark, that's up to you. Right. But as a horror film and that being the Babadook and me sitting there the entire time going, oh, my God, the Babadook. Like, you know, you can't. There's nothing. Yeah, if there you don't want to think about it as much as we're thinking about zero, it. Right. Oh, don't anyway. even don't even fuck with me. Okay? <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, no, wait, I'm not saying you. I'm not well, saying I was you. trying to get to I'm, a, if one was... doesn't want to think about it as much as we're thinking about. I'm sorry. We're all he think... just insulted me. I didn't insult <laughs> you. I'm just saying that if if like a 12 year old kid wants to go to a theater and just be scared by a thing and not think about you the let fact, a 12 year old see this. <laughs> a lot of 12 year olds would. Anyway, um, if they want to go to uh, the theater and worse. just watch a horror movie where there's a scary monster and a blah blah blah, and they don't want to think about fear of of being a parent or childhood or like the change from boyhood to manhood or or any of that. They don't want to analyze it in that way. You can just watch this straight up as a horror movie or you can look at it as one can look at it also as like a metaphor or one can look at it as, uh, oh, my God, the Babadook thing. Like there's something in this for everybody. Right. And to be clear, as just a straight up horror movie, it's maybe the best in years and years. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, But what I was uh, just to finish my point, uh, the one place where I'm not. And this doesn't derail the movie, uh, but the one place where I'm not entirely clear if I like the uh, kind of muddled line between psychology and real horror 
is in this idea of, well, maybe they're dead. Maybe they're not at yeah. the end. And yeah, it, it's, it's only because I really like what the actual ending in the basement says. So I hope they're not dead because that uh, that ending is no, interesting. To I me. don't actually think they are. I'm just saying that you yeah. can look at it any way you want. But what I like, though, is I think that ending finds uplift because that is where it kind of comes to this. It kind of wraps up its thesis statement for me about parental anxiety and about all the stuff it's spending most of its running time discussing by saying it's kind of like a, a 12 steps kind of very healthy addicts take on it, which right. is it's not going to go away. You are going to go down into mm-hmm. the basement and you are going to wrestle with it every single day of your life. Right. Some days you're going to get your ass kicked. Other right. days will be a little quieter, but it's not an issue of, well, the Duke's gone. It's always in that basement. And exactly. That's yeah. how you do deal it's a with metaphor. It. Um, it's I, a metaphor. Kick your ass. <laughs> if, we're, if we're done with that part, I want to say, like, how have none of us talked about this? So Rob sort of brought this up. And I, I I remember when we saw it and I leaned over to you and I said, what the fuck just happened right now? It's like she's the the son is hugging her and she goes, stop that. Like and like reacts really crazily to this. And like well, I've got notes the, on this. the other thing that that and I'm going to get to the big moment here. But um, uh, the other thing is that I wanted to interject when you were talking about that first instance of her uh, letting the, the boy into her bed and he's got his hand around her throat and his feet on her back. And the other thing is that she's just like curled up on the edge of the bed trying to be as far away from him as possible. And I thought that that was really unsettling. And then here's the big weird moment that I thought was super crazy and like made me stressed out beyond like every possible thing I could deal with <laughs> is the moment where like the, that scene where she's masturbating and then you're I was like upset and stressed out that this kid's gonna walk in on her while she's masturbating and that's not like horror movie stuff it's just like I would be stressed out if I had a kid and I were doing that. Like, I'd be like, is my kid going to run in here while I'm doing this? Right. <laughs> Great. That's fucking stressful. And he does. I have notes on that, too. Um, that so, like, part? there are these three moments that I think, like, have a lot of that kind of, like, weird stressfulness about it. Like, there's that. And there's, like, as Rob said, that moment where, like, the son's hugging her and she's like, stop that. Right. And, like... But I mean, what the hell? Like, what was going I, on with think, those? Can I, we talk about that? Because well, how weird. <laughs> I think that the reason the kid is so smothering is like, Mom, I need you, Mom, like, and won't leave her alone all the time. It's because she never gives him any real emotional con- uh, context. Like, there's, um, she won't talk to him about his father. Yeah. So, he, like, he doesn't know where he came from. Um, he, she's basically like neglecting him and, and like just reading through stories and trying to get him to go to bed right away. And he's yeah. just like, will you stay up and talk with me? Will you like, and, uh, there's also like, he, she doesn't like it when he touches her or shows her any affection. And at one point, like when they do have a loving moment, he says, I love you. And she says, me too. Yeah. No, that weirded me out yeah, too, I was just right? Like, I was like, just me like, too. me too. That is like, that's like something like, you say, like, have a nice flight. You too. Like, right. Yeah, no, that is not any what? that is not any kind of emotional affection. So of course this kid's going to be starved for attention. Of course this kid's never going to leave you alone. Of course this kid's going to want attention regardless of whether or not it's negative attention because you're kicking the back of his seat or because he's climbing a fucking thing. He just wants attention because you're not actually emotionally engaging with him. Why? Because you're too traumatized and fucked up to actually be able to do that. 
You've got these emotions locked away in a cupboard that you can't deal with. And whenever they do come out, they manifest themselves in horrible ways as opposed to a affection and emotional ones. <laughs> Rob's dropping <laughs> papers everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> no, I like that reading. Uh, and at the same time, though, uh, I don't think that'll ever stop. And that's, this is why I like those parts so much. This, to me, is absolutely true to life. Uh, I love kids. I used to work at the YMCA. I love, love, love children. In a safe, with you, legal way, <laughs> um, and and I know I have friends who have children, uh, and they're great, but and, like, and they feel like they're those kids are okay around you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, like, I like your interpretation, and I and I think that's probably true. Is that she is psychologically distant, but I also like it poetically as something that is going to plague any parent regardless of how uh, emotionally attentive they are is just that like his the reason she freaks out to me with the brushing of the neck is just like there's never any space they're always going to be there and, and the same yeah. with the i mm -hmm. love you me too it's just like yeah well i obviously i love you but i i don't know i've got ambiguous right. fucking feelings about you dude Really, really ambiguous right. feelings. Which is, which is why... Even that... No, which is you're why still not talking about the scene where he, like, interrupts her while she's masturbating. Okay, I've That's got... That's so upsetting. I've got no, no space. Never no space. No space. Yeah, exactly. Zero never space. space. And she, like, is so just, like... He does that, and, like, she's just, like... You need to fucking get the fuck out of here and stop with this bullshit right now. And, like, that might even be a moment, if I rewatched it, where, like, things start to turn... That like maybe I didn't notice, and I'm I'm not sure entirely, but like it just seems like that's a moment where it's like, oh, this shithead needs to get out of my space. Like I can't have a single moment alone, and I'm like trying to deal with this right now with him here jumping on my bed, going, oh my god, the Baba Duke! <laughs> like fuck you! There's no fucking Baba Duke. <laughs> I'm the, the Baba Duke! I wrote it because I hate you! <laughs> exactly! Fuck! Rob no is space. over here frantically turning down microphones. I know! I'm the Baba Duke! Carnivorous catch. We fucking hate children. <laughs> Alright, I, I think that's a. We should talk more about that scene, but I think that's a good stopping point to take a, a, a micro break and do plot lines or. Metacritical, and then uh, come back after peeing, uh, <laughs> and uh, finish up our our discussion. Mm, micro brain. <laughs> All right, uh, be right back. Yeah, out of beer. There's a twelve pack. And then we go to the file browser, and then we play the intro. Uh, Metacritical. Rob's never gonna win. Neither is Tess. Metacritical. Brady's the victor again. So it's time to play. I'm gonna lose today. So am I. Metacritical, yeah, it's time. to play. Everybody, 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 welcome to Metacritical, the game where we try to guess as close as we can to the score. It's kind of like the Rotten Tomatoes game on another podcast. But uh, this is Metacritic because, as according to Brady, it's a better rating system. Is that right, Brady? It's a much better rating system. Okay. Uh, what's our first movie? 
Our first movie, uh, since we're doing an atmospheric, spooky, female-driven horror movie, we're going to do The Ring from 2002 with Naomi Watts. The Ring. The American Ring? The American Ring. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Tess and I had the same question, asked (laughs) in totally different ways. Who's first here, then? Ringu. I love The Ring. I love the the Japanese ring as well. Or The Ring. (laughs) <laughs> okay, um, I'm gonna go first and give it a 82. I'm gonna give it an 85. Uh, I really like this movie, but I don't think it was rated that highly. I'm gonna go 68. Wow. Did you pick yeah. these because you know? No. Because Brady picked them. Everybody, Brady picked them. No! He could be cheating. He, he, he preformed it. It's cool. It's cool, man. It's cool. That's cool. Why did the fuck did it come up? Oh, because I didn't actually type it in the right place. <laughs> Please put it in the actual website. <laughs> Kids, Still type it in first. <laughs> I'm having so much trouble operating my machine. All right. This movie actually did remind me of The Ring in a way. Um, color palette. Um, it's hard because there's a lot of things that say the ring on them. Why? And I think it leaves ring off. I mean, I think it leaves the off. Um. Sh- hmm. Lord of the Rings. No. Lord of the Rings. No. Rings around the world, the no, Lego, ring. blah, blah, blah. I, I searched, I typed the ring. Oh, go up to the Try top it. and just do movies. Oh, okay, yeah, that helps. <laughs> that helps. Video games. All right, the ring. Here we go. 57. Oh, wow, wow that's even harsher <gasps> wow, than I thought. Wow, that is low. Yeah, right? That was a good movie. I agree. How upsetting. I liked both the American and Japanese ring. Horror movies just get a bunch of shit all the time. Yeah, right? Just like, oh, is it supposed to scare you? Must be shitty. <laughs> Fuck that. Well, what's the score again? 50-something. Uh, 57? 57. Man. Man, we all fucked up, but Brady's still doing better than we are. Yeah, he did it lower. He did it lower. Oh, man. All right, what do we got? The All ring right. two? We'll jump from <laughs> with Naomi Watts to 21 Grams by... I never saw that. Alejandro González Iñárritu. Is that the one about what a soul weighs? It mentions that. I have no idea what it's about. Because that's what a soul weighs. Yeah, uh, it mentions. 21 Grams? Yes. When you die, you lose 21 well, grams of weight. Anymore. It's about... Sad. Okay, um, I think Why? this was actually pretty well rated. Um, so I'm going to give it 80. I'm going to give it a 79. <laughs> I'll go 77. Okay. Better not be low because then Brady's closest without going over. I should just spend most of my time looking at Metacritic. Then I'll know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll look at it together. 70. 70. That's actually totally I did better fair. than you. 
by guessing one under. Okay. Uh, you guessed 79, Tess. From there, yes. we jump. That's nine over. Did better than you, though. We jump oh, with yeah. uh, Benicio Del Toro, who's in 21 Grams, into 2007's Things We Lost in the Fire, the also starring. It's the one where Del Toro is a heroin addict friend of David Duchovny, who's a nice family man who's married <gasps> to Halle Berry, and then he gets stabbed, and then the heroin addict, played by Del Toro, and the wife, Halle Berry, kind of, who didn't like each other before, start to bond. Thanks so much. Rob? It sounds like Monster's Ball. It does. Say it's again? nothing like Monster's it's Ball. It's nothing What's like, the name but of it's it? got Holly Berry in Things it. Things We all Lost in the Fire. Things We Lost in the Fire. And also, they didn't like each other, and then after shit happens, he they was the start to well like friend. each other. Things We Lost in the Fire. Okay. Um... Well, shit, I know nothing about this movie. Me either. I know it's got fine-ass Halle Berry in it, so uh, I'm just going to go 72. 62. Brady. <clears throat> uh, 65. It's a really nice Del Toro performance. And the actual score is... Not listed. Thing, oh, thing we lost in the fire was problem. No, I, <laughs> that's what's sad is they lose multiple things. Sixty-three. <laughs> I was so close. Wow, Tess yeah, right? got the most on that yeah, one. Yeah, you. I haven't even seen it, but I judged it by the cast. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, I'm doing horrible this time. All right, we jump now with John Carroll Lynch, who does nice work also in things we lost in the fire and who you guys probably don't know who he is but he's bald and kind of tubby and a solid character actor sounds and like john c Riley. yeah i mean he's kind of he in that mold like john c. he's Riley. a talented underrated schlubby everyman who's been in lots of stuff he's that guy what and movie? he is that guy in zodiac oh. most likely the zodiac killer though never confirmed and so Zodiac. Okay, I'm going 80. 79. <laughs> Damn you, Tess. Stop riding my coattails better than me. Um, I think you guys are right, even though this movie deserved better. No, it didn't. It's It's been judged I'm guessing Brady's going to go with 82. No, I'm going to go 78. 78. Okay. Damn, we're just counting down. Right? All right. Let's hear it happen. I want to stab this movie repeatedly with a knife in the back. 78 is the answer. What? That gives... Brady, you've, you cheated. <laughs> I did not. He laughs. I did not. I did not. I didn't cheat. I totally right. cheated. And fifth and final <laughs> one, Brady. Mm. Well, since I know you kids... Like the Donnie Darko, we'll jump <laughs> with Mr. Gyllenhaal to that. Donnie Darko? Oh, God. Rob? Yeah. Damn kids. Shit. Donnie Darko's a tough suits. one because it's really good. It's okay. It's okay. I, I saw it for the first time lately because I never actually really remembered it from seeing it other times I'd seen it. What Mostly in college. Rated? Huh? What do you think it's rated? Yeah, how many uh, tears for fears would you give it? Uh, yeah. 
I terrible would, trade. I I would not shed a tear, but I would give it um, uh, 72 fears. Actually, no, I have to go much lower. Yeah. Because I'm trying to make up 26 points here. Because Brady is at 20, Tess is at uh, 39, and I'm at 46. Um, I'm going to have to go with 62. I'm going to give it a solid 60. Oh, really? I think you guys are both on the money. I'll Shit. go God I'll damn go it, I was thinking I was guessing 20 points low. 64. Uh, no, well, there's no way I can win now. Brady should have to go Yarko. last. I did go last. He did go last. Brady I mean, should, have, Brady to should have to go first. That's what Brady I should have to go first no matter what for now on. I'll be fully honest. Uh, my enthusiasm 71 was... is the answer. Oh, okay. Wow, it did better than we thought. All right, who no, won? No, I thought it went up about there. I was just trying to guess low and make I know. Uh, well, I guess assume, higher. I assumed it would be a low score myself. All right, shall I add these up? Yeah, uh, let's discuss do it. I've pretty much yourselves. already done it, but... Uh... Uh... Uh, Brady's at 27, Tess is at 40, and I'm at 47, I think. I think you're at 55. Who won you? 55? Yeah. Oh, wait, no, yeah, no, I meant 57. Brady wins again. But, like, 55. I meant 57. But, like, oh, I win! <laughs> All right, what were the scores? Well, let me add yours up. I think up. 57, 40, and 27, given that. 37, 38, 39. You're at... Tess is at 50. Well, somehow I added something wrong or wrote wrote down a different score than you. Rob wrote 40. I like that better. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you're totally 50. Rob's 55. <laughs> all right so uh hey everybody everybody we're back after that excellent round of metacritical uh this is once again carnivorous couch film a week from two film geeks the spoiler full podcast if you didn't hear that the first time well you've been spoiled and you're probably really pissed off you can go ahead and tweet a comment to us at carny couch or post it on our facebook at carnivorous couch or go to our website www.carnivoroucscouch.com or <clears throat> future to be www.carnivoroucstudios forward slash carnivorous couch and after you do all that kind of stuff, you can bitch at us for spoiling the thing because you weren't listening when we said it at the top of the show that we were going to spoil everything for you. You can also find me on Tumblr at Third Caveman. Or me on Tumblr at Wobbly Rain King. And you can find me in my apartment where I live at 1211 53rd <laughs> Street, Emeryville. Don't give people our address! I didn't give them Emeryville, the Wyoming. Emeryville, Wyoming. Oh, you seem to be down for me to giving the state, even though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm glad he didn't give the address of Carnivorous Studios out. <sighs> I did say it was a block from Pixar in a previous episode, though. We could probably figure it out because there's a big sign that says Carnivorous Studios. We live right. inside Pixar, actually. <laughs> it's true. Everyone I in Emeryville <laughs> lives inside Pixar. Since when do you lean into the mic and make it so loud? Shut up! Uh, yeah, we do live inside uh, the moon. We live on the moon inside Pixar uh, on a moon base. We do live on a moon base. Yes. And we and sit in lawn chairs on the roof of the is. moon base. Anyway, we were talking about masturbation. We were. And I need... 
Your notes. Wait, notes, notes. Where are my notes? Notes, notes. Okay, where's masturbation? I search <laughs> where's word masturbation in my for notes. Masturbation. Yeah, I typed this. I if I had my laptop in front of me, I could just search for it. I could just search masturbation, and then it would be a world of possibilities. I mean, mostly, I thought I thought the masturbation, while it also uh, exhibits the fact that. You know, she has no space, and this thing, this kid can barge in here at any time, although she could lock her door so that he would have Maybe to knock. Maybe she can't. Uh, well, she could buy a lock from the hardware store. She does put a chair under her door at one point, at least. She Okay, if she wanted to have a little privacy for ten minutes, she could lock the door, and then the kid would have to knock, at least. Yeah. Okay, yes. We, we all agree that it is possible to go to the hardware store and get a little uh, uh, wingnut eye thing and a, yes. and a, and a hook. And that the six-year-old probably isn't going to be able to bust that off the thingy. At least not in the time it takes you to, like, figure out what you're going to do. Right. <laughs> and she could also buy a vibrator so she can do it faster. She did have a vibrator. Oh, that I was thought... a vibrator. Oh, okay. Well, I, I mean, I wasn't paying that much attention. It was a vibrator. Oh, okay. You heard it. Oh, vibrating. I, I, I couldn't <laughs> hear it. I had the volume down because I'm like, oh, she's masturbating and I'm right next to Jordan and Nora's room. I probably should it was turn a vi- it up. It was a vibrator. Uh, <laughs> it was totally a vibrator. I just thought it was scary music. I thought she was just touching herself. Ooh. No, it was a vibrator. I didn't realize it was a vibrator. Okay, it was. Fine. It was. All right. Well, I guess she can't buy a vibrator to, to take care of it faster and easier. Um, but basically what I'm saying is I figured it, looked at it more as an indication of the lack of male presence in her life. Because she pretty much she work she lives there with her son who's you know up until up until the act two is just neuter he's just like a six year old boy who's not really he's six yeah but he's not really of a gender yet like he's a boy <laughs> okay six year olds be boys or girls don't really have super strong gender identities that aren't imposed upon them when they're kids that's fair right um so anyway like he's. She doesn't have a super strong male presence. She works at a, a convalescence home. Most of her patients are female. There's one male orderly who she pushes away. Um, her, totally. Her sister is her friend. Her neighbor is her friend. All her sister's, like, gaggle of geese friends are the people she interacts with. She barely interacts with hardly any men throughout the entire movie. There's, like, almost no male presence in her life. So, in addition to what Brady said, which is, like, this is an indication that, like, this child will be here all the time, you'll have no space and no boundaries and blah, 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 and all this stuff. I mean, I think you can have space and boundaries, but I think this really does tend to thematically highlight the lack of male presence in her life and that she's not satisfied in that way. She's a heterosexual male and sh- or heterosexual female, and she has not uh, gone in the past six years the steps and the working through whatever trauma she's had in order to she's very foster lonely. a situation with a male in her life. You know, I, I so feel I felt like that scene more highlighted that than than the boundary thing. Although that is like an ancillary effect of it. Oh yeah, she's very lonely. I mean, you I, you see throughout the film that she's very lonely. I think, it, I, but I'd go the opposite. I mean, I do think its primary effect is to add to. What I now see in the entire first half of the movie is this kind of accumulation of, of privacy invasions by the child. And just, I think Tess was even saying is like the first half of the movie is just kind of setting him up as this terror. Yeah. Just like, oh, this shrill child. Just um, everywhere I but am. at the same time, Normal I think it's child. also, yeah. But, but Rob's right. It's also, I don't know if I'd 
You have phrase no moment it, of respite, yeah, though. Yeah, I don't know if I'd phrase it as uh, she needs a male presence, but just that she's a human being with normal desires, and those are being subsumed to him. Right. Yes. There's, there's a lack of a male presence, and, like, you know, he's out of control and stuff and has no, like, hey, knock it off. Like, he has none of that in her life. She's just like, you need to stop now. You need to stop. But like, she has a very womanly sense of discipline, which isn't working on him. <sighs> Can I say that the moments where, like, what you just described or when she's the fucking Babadook, get out of my room, you little shit. Like, right. that's her but I'm talking about being the first what half. you're saying, and that's fucking terrifying. Right. And, but I'm talking about the first half of the movie before the kid has made the transition to, okay, I need to be the male presence in my life and my situation. I don't know if I even read it that way. I'm going to let you read it that way, but I don't know if I do. Well, I mean, that's, that's the way I read it when I was initially watching it, when I hadn't seen the second act. Like, that's when I wrote all these notes, because I only watched right, it once. Right. I didn't, like, go back well, and rewatch it. Yeah. Once. Right. But, I mean, like, I was taking notes when I didn't know what happens in the second half. That's what I'm saying. I think it's a feminist piece in the way that, like, you know, Alien and Aliens is. Right. You know, and so, like, I'm not reading it as, like, there's a lack of male presence. I'm not really well, seeing I mean, it that in, way. In I terms don't want to question that you are. Well, in terms of the first half, what I'm talking about is the first half when she is unable to discipline her child and get her child to listen to Do you require, like, males to discipline children? Is that something that is some, a thing? Some people do. I mean, it kind of is a thing where, like, the, you know, the... You know, like the woman says, you need to stop. You need to stop. You need to stop. And then like the dad's downstairs and he goes, hey. And then like the kids go, oh, fuck. You know, like, like dad just yelled at us. Right. And in a lot of, and it's not every household. It's not every single one. I'm just saying that that's a typical sort of situation where you have a male and a female parent. And that, that's how that works. It helps to have that, I think. I don't really know. I'm not saying I don't it's required. I'm just saying that typically single parent households in, deal with that necessarily. Exactly. It's a problem with with single parent households. Because like at least when, you know, when I was a kid uh and had having a mom and a dad both disciplining me like, you know, one could one could refer to the other like I don't want to tell your mom about this or I don't want to tell your dad about this or, you know, something like that where it's like, if Wait you did something real shitty, home. yeah, if you did something real shitty, you could like refer to the other parent to be like, well, um, if you keep being a little shit, then I'm going to tell the other parent about this and they'll get to decide. Like, yeah. you know, so there, there is that kind that, of lacking. She, she yeah. doesn't have She didn't that, have like, a heavy referral. to refer to, basically, is um, what I'm saying. And in many ways, maybe you could see, like, that Babadook character as being like, well, wait until the fucking Babadook gets <laughs> yeah, home, right? you fucking shithead! <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, and that's basically was what were her feelings on it. Like she, like that was the alternate side of her because she had this trauma and this stuff. I mean, like obviously, if that wasn't going to happen, scene one would have been her coming from therapy. Like, <laughs> I know, right? But you know, like, and I, I was trying to talk about that a no little way. bit. Is like when you're when you're like that fucked up and you like are are dealing with stuff on that level. Like a lot of times, you don't want to deal with it. You're like, I don't want to seek therapy because that would mean like addressing shit that but I do not want to address. But if you have a kid, you don't have a choice. She, ha a, she clearly had a choice. Well, yeah, no, but your family <laughs> and your peers choice. and everybody else should not let you have that choice. They said, you have right. a kid, you have to address this shit, or you are not a suitable parent. And what you were saying about, like, invisible illnesses, where, like, your your friends aren't necessarily going, you need to get help. They're just saying, I can't be around you. Right. 
your kid makes me uncomfortable. You make me uncomfortable. Yeah. All I knew how to, all and, I know how to do is be tough love. And that's where we come back to that thing I wrote in bold at the thing where uh, the failure of society to uh, to take care of people who aren't able to take care of themselves is very much a strong theme in this film. Yeah, I mean, I it's gonna sound. Well, it's not a strong theme. It's an ancillary thing. I'm more with Tess than with Rob, but I think it's all kind of. I think it it's, is. It's more, all addressed, at least. In yeah, the, yeah. It's, to me, it is more about the psychological stresses of single parenthood, and where I'd stop short. Uh, well, I, I mean, I do agree that you can't divorce it from the fact that her husband yeah. got decapitated. Absolutely in her, not. In no, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm absolutely That's part of it. No, no. Okay. So, hold on. So hold on. Much. Let me finish. I hold don't on. know about letting you finish there, partner. I don't know I about that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good, you're gonna let me finish. That's good. Mm. Or start. I can't finish. Um, can't finish. Shut up. All right. Good. All right. So, I don't. The where I definitely wouldn't go so far is I. I wouldn't. Very much wouldn't. First, I'm with Tess that I don't want to say that the film is saying that you absolutely need. A male presence to instill discipline. I never said that. Uh, no, no, I'm, but I'm just just to be clear. But where I definitely would draw the line is I don't read the Baba Duke as this metaphor for an absent male figure. Uh, I don't, know I don't Rob either. Was even saying that, okay. but he was saying that the the child is, becomes the male figure, which I don't necessarily agree with either. Is like there there necessarily has to be a male figure didn't say in there any has household. To be. That uh, to the point that a seven-year-old is is uh, becoming that for this this adult woman, that's kind of where I draw the line. Right. I don't know no, if I, I mean, agree with that. Th- th- and part of the reason I wouldn't necessarily go that far, even though I think it's there to be read, is that while yes, I do stand by my statement that this is specifically about single parenthood. I think a lot of the lessons and kind of the insights on hating your child, let's say, in this mm. movie, are applicable to people in a dual-parent situation as much yep. as a single parent. But yep. interestingly, yep. Yep. interestingly, there's a, there's also a scene where he talks about, where he's downstairs and she finds him down there, and he says yeah. he's going to rescue his father. He says, I'm going to use like these firecrackers to rescue my father and fight off the monster. Like, he's having this fantasy that his father's still alive. And then later on, like, he says, like, I'm going to protect us. Like, that's what I'm talking about, the male thing. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be a male who's embodying that male thing, but it's just like a stereotypical Orion versus, um, fuck, I'm blanking on the other half. The circle with the, the thing in it versus this, the, uh... Circle with the plus sign? Okay, there's, yeah, there's Venus the Venus versus w- Mars? Are those the two gods? Yes. But who's the gods in the, uh... Orion's the one with the belt. Um, yes. No, who's the? But okay, so there's the Roman gods and there's whatever. Aphrodite versus so and so. No, I that, don't those know. are also Greek. Um, yeah, there's <laughs> no. The planets are Roman and the whatevers are Greek. It's all very confusing. At any rate, <laughs> <laughs> at any rate, what I'm saying is that it doesn't necessarily have to be people who are gendered male and female to take those roles. But they're supposed to be the protector and they're supposed to be the provider, right? Whether or not it be emotional comfort or this and that. And in this case, she is providing for him. But nobody is protecting them from the Babadook. Basically, her fears and her past demons from all her shit. Right? And all she went through. And basically, 
what the kid becomes is the person who's going to protect her from that. He's the one who's going to strap her down and say, you've got to get this thing out. You've got to get this thing out. But you can't escape it. But you have to get it out of yourself. I agree with that. Um, he does. And, and, and I think that was also largely done to redeem him. Um, because you see him as such a little shit through most of the film. Right, but that, that's through the that, lens of her. That eventually you have to see him as a likable person. You also have to see her as a likable person. They all have to be likable people. Um, and this is one of the ways to do that is like, you know, that sort of redeems him as he's able to do this Freddy Krueger, um, home alone thing where he subdues his mother and gets her to like spit bile and eject the Babadook, even though you can't get rid of the Babadook until you You'll never continuously, get rid of you can never no. get rid of the Babadook. Yeah, you never um, get rid of it, but you can protect yourself from it and understand and what it is. he says that. He knows that. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was something else that I was going to say, and I can't remember exactly well, what it was. Let me hop in here and say yeah, that hop in. I don't necessarily think that the child needs redemption, but I think that psychologically the movie understands that even well-meaning people can become each other's antagonists. Yes. And right. there comes a time that you need to calm down and, mm-hmm. and recognize. And I think this movie gets at that really oh. well. Uh, recognize that the person that is antagonizing you is on your side and that you kind of have to calm yourself down and you have to calm each other down. And so the movie is interesting psychologically to me at the end because while you've got, I'm not going to say standard because it's actually beautifully shot and really terrifying, but let's say more standard horror movie stuff going on with the lights flickering and whatnot, mm-hmm. you've also got this kind of psychological undertone that it, they're starting, they finally start to talk to each other yeah. rather than yell at each other. Yep. And that's when things finally start to take an upswing again. I wanted to say a little bit to you about that moment. Um like at the at the end, um, and depending on how you read it and how you want to interpret it, there there is an argument to be made for the idea that much of the end of the movie is either a fanciful dream or that uh, things are not quite what they seem. Which, uh, you know, the boy doing the magic tricks like constantly has that kind of refrain, like you know, life can be scary and it can be, you know, he has this like thing that, right. that's repeated throughout and um, that coupled with it a lot of... It can be intriguing but it can also uh, be treacherous. With a lot of other things that you're seeing in the movie could indicate a couple of things. One is which that um, the movie ends at a certain point um, depending on where you want to think of it. It could be where she's choking him and then he gets free it could be, you know, after she kills the dog. It could be, there's a lot of points where you could find a breaking point where um, uh, the movie becomes fanciful. But there's a lot of moments where you could say, oh, this is, this is no longer reality now. It's a dream sequence. And this ending, like, lends some credence to that. It's like, it's sort of unsettling feeling, but th- things seem okay. But then you have that, uh, that news the news thing, the newsreel she's watching that says, like, uh, the the woman, like, killed her son and then killed herself a few days after his seventh birthday, you know, that kind of thing. And you could very easily read the ending of this movie as being largely a dream sequence in one instant because the boy does kind of what I think of as uh, as an impossible magic trick. He He has a trained dove that he just has. What kind of seven? How do you get as a seven-year-old a trained dove? Well, Even not, if you're capable, it's not necessarily trained. 
it's just sitting. It's depth. just sitting right there. Where do you get that? And Rob was, I was arguing with Rob about this. It's like, he's like, if I was seven, I would totally bust this trick. No, like, I don't know what, what I, said. I know what that's I not what you said. I know said. how the trick is done and I watched I know do that's it not I know what exactly. you said, but it's just, it just seems kind of like a silly trick for like a seven year old to be able to do. Like, that's not, they're not pulling bunnies out of hats. They're, they're I seven. I don't know. I saw like, like an eight year old um, do that trick when I was a kid. So, I mean. But maybe you know, I, no, I mean, maybe like at a show where that was the no, whole I gimmick. Think Jordan Schiller did it for me when I went over to his house or something. He like did a bunny or a buddy. <laughs> they're not rich. Right. Well, the bigger issue might yeah, be that that's it's on. This takes place on his seventh birthday. Yeah, this and then, then this moment takes place on his seventh birthday, which um, the newsreel that you see takes place after. And right. then I there's, assume there's also that a lot I assume like, that all the shit that was happening was prior to his seventh birthday, but. Right. What we're saying is the newsreel says that she killed him afterwards. Afterwards. Right. But the book also shows him shows her killing him before she obviously could. Like there was a bunch of stuff that that was and and like you know to monetize to have been done. To my point of view, um, as soon as he started setting these booby traps for his mother in the basement, I almost wanted to divorce myself from the idea that this was actually happening. So there, there is an argument to be made for, for the idea that um, at a certain point at the, during the climax or after that none of this is real. Mm. I just wanted to talk yeah. about that no, a I mean, bit. It, you don't it, have to believe it. Yeah, I don't even know if well, I do. But it could be. I don't, I don't think there was ever like literally a Babadook, right? So in that, you can. I think there well, was. But. Well, hold on. If anything, it would be real because the moment when she kills him has yet to come. But to that end, what Rob says about the book, the book makes no mention of time. Right. So it's entirely possible for, yes, I know we watch the dog and then we watch it happen. So we assume this happens in the same space. But it's possible that she killed the dog. Then everything gets good again. But after his seventh birthday, she the Babadook, which is still in the basement. Oh, you're saying a couple days yeah. after yes. the lingering psychological threat yep. is still there. And right. the movie acknowledges it. It does. And so, yeah, it's possible that. that right. Could still but happen. also, like, that news report that she was watching was on the TV when she was hallucinating and being all crazy because but she was yeah. not sleeping. She, pr- she premonices right. stuff. If she wrote the book, as we think she might have, then she she that could have just been like her, like, having a premonition about what she is going to do in the future. You know, you don't really know, and it's never set up to be 100% one thing or the other because it's a really incredibly wonderful depiction of insomnia. Right. No, I mean, I understand what you're saying. When did that happen? I don't know. It could have been the future. It could have been the past. I don't know. Right. No, I I, I mean, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, I really don't think that there was ever like a Babadook. And yeah, no, she totally could have killed the person afterwards. I don't think if she did that the news report would have anything to do with it because. But how creepy was it to see that? Right. Yeah. No, it was creepy. terrifying. Right. But I mean, like the, but the and news, she's but taking us it seeing so the heart. news report. Okay, okay. So what you're saying is that she was seeing the news report and that we were, we were given, she was dead. We were given a scene out of sequence. Yes. Exactly. Where, whereas for the rest of the movie, we weren't really given any. But we were given loads of se- scenes out of sequence in the form of the book. Right. So why were we not given scenes out of sequence in forms of her watching TV? Well, I'm just saying diegetically. We well, again, given I, any I don't she need sees that. All, <laughs> she sees all kinds of scary shit on the TV that represent like 
the Babadook book or other things that are going on in her life. Right. And she's just so she's so crazy with insomnia that like all of this blends right. together. I'm just saying that for us that that we're not really ever given any indication that what we're seeing is out of sequence. Also, like there's no though, evidence to suggest I mean, that. Premonition's a funny word because I don't need to be an oracle to predict that I'll kill a dog. I just have to go kill a dog after, after I say you're going to. Where's that dog? <laughs> right. No, but what I'm what I'm saying is that there's no real indication that the scenes are out of sequence. Like. Right. Right. So I mean, why would I think that? But I don't think that scene's out of sequence. I just think it's the report. No, I know, but w- right, but it's shown to us out of sequence. Yeah, I think she has a little. Okay, like, so blah. yeah, so there could be that. But what I'm saying is, in no other circumstances, the, like the movie up till that point is all sequential. So what you're saying is, there's this one outlying scene that's just out of sequence, apropos of nothing. No, no, I, I well, what the, the news, news report. report? The news report being shown to us beforehand. Well, I mean, I think course. that was, I think that was mostly the same as her reading the book beforehand and and seeing the premonition and the blah blah blah, and just basically saying like, like this is what's going to happen. You're going crazy, blah blah. You know, like I don't, you know, I, I don't I think mostly... literally that the that the news report was from after it all happened. I think it was just her fantasizing about after it happened. I, and as I said, I prefer that reading, too, because I actually read some uplift into this ending. But it's there to play with if you want. No, to. it is there to play with. But it would kind of like if you're going to look at that particular snippet of things, which isn't even bookended by anything. It's just kind of like enmeshed in all this shit that's going on where all the other scenes. There's really no indication to suggest that any of the things that are happening are not happening in sequence. Right. Yeah. So I mean, like, I I don't I don't know if I go with that. Uh, do we have more to say? No, no. I think I think we've covered like a bajillion things. You have more to say, Tess? All right. Uh, what do you think we should do um next week? Oh, I have something this time. Ooh, Brady's got Cause, something. Because one, I've I've been meaning to bring it up. I think a few times, and then it slips my mind. But also because he's got something, but it slipped his mind. I don't know. We're gonna have to slippity slide on over to here. Slide. Brought it up and a few if, times. If Rob <laughs> scats enough, it'll slip my mind again. Actually, give it a skip. Give it a scat, scat, scat. Zip, 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 zip. I just had, I just had a premonition that I was gonna take that tape and tape it over your face, and that happened to me in my mind, and it went like this. But that was totally out of sequence. With all the other stuff that's been happening in podcasts, which are, uh, you know, in sequence. But I'm going to do that to you later, and I'm going to be like, see, podcast listeners should have understood. I have a premonition involving a beer and a frozen pizza. Uh, But before we can do that, uh, we have to suggest ideas. So here's mine, because, yes, it has been on my mind to bring it up, but also because I like the idea of... the leopard, too? No. (laughs) I like the idea of female collaborators. In this case, we had two, the uh, great acting by Essie Davis and the direction by newcomer Jennifer Kent. And in this case, I propose a film that sees a collaboration between a female animator, a long-dead female jazz singer, and a long, 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 long long-dead female mythological Indian figure. So I'm going to go with Sita Sings Sings the the Blues from 2008. Ooh, I would like to watch that. I okay. want to see that again, too. So that's what we're doing next week. So good. All right. See you to sing the blues. My wait, wait, wait. Everyone do a line from Baba Duke. everything. Just send us off. Baba Duke.
Duke. Oh, we just all did the same way. How about um? You can bring me the boy. You can bring me the boy. Me too. Good day, mate. Yeah. Three, two, one. Daniel Alvarez. Theme song. Rocco's Modern Life. Rocco's Modern Life. That's a terrible French night. <laughs> <laughs> it happened twice a week. It's one and just for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Can never escape. With Brady and Rob. Rock Lobster. Uh, when I woke up this morning, I had no idea that I would get to hear the words colostomy bag and suck it up together. Suck it up. Sloppy double dare. 